as you guys know, you guys have been teaching through the book of Hebrews. Uh, I love the book of Hebrews. In fact, Kelly said, hey, you know, preach what you want, but you can also preach Hebrews. And I said, I'm preaching Hebrews um, because I love it. In fact, I was trying to get down here earlier so I could preach through Hebrews 7 in Melchizedek because uh, I just, I love that text. But uh, I find myself this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. And so would you please read it with me? I'm going to read from the ESV, which I understand is an acceptable version. Although I also stand, understand that last week there was a little bit of aberrant theology that took place here when the New Living Translation was opened and read. No, I'm just kidding. Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, we're just concentrating on six verses, and I've been asked to, to teach uh, on the middle of the chapter beginning in verse 19. And so I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Preachers love verse 25, right? We love to just go right to Hebrews 10, 25. Do not neglect being together. You know what, while that is an emphasis that we'll look at this morning, there's something so much more significant that's happening in this portion of the text. And so can I just pray and ask the Lord by his spirit to um, just plant this seed deep within us. Father, we embrace your word this morning. This is your living word. We thank you that the word of God is living and active. Father, and as it tells us that it cuts down to the very intent of the heart of each and every one of us, regardless of our place of faith this morning. And so those of us with faith, we receive it with thankfulness, we receive it with joy, and we receive it with expectation. And Lord, this morning, we just ask, would you do your work within us? Lord, have your way within us as a people, as your church. Conform us into the image of Christ. Transform our thinking. Renew us, Lord, we pray, that we would be the church in this city, that we would be the people of God as you've called us to be under the glory of your name. Amen. A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, if you've read that book before, you'll probably be familiar with his text. He says something that's often quoted. He says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And there's this really significant truth within Scripture that actually is woven all throughout the Old Testament and in on through the New, and it is this. What we believe determines what we do. Just, it's not a very profound statement. It's actually kind of common sense. But I want you to think about it this morning as it pertains to your understanding and to your knowledge of God. What you believe today sitting right where you are, determines, not just influences, determines what it is that you do. There's another author who's well-known by the name of Francis Schaeffer, 
Francis Schaeffer was a 20th century uh, um, apologetic, Christian apologist, Christian thinker, theologian, writer, and he's got a, a book that he wrote called How Then Should We Live that was re- put out in the 70s, I think. Am I right, Mike? Okay. I'm just saying it because your birthday. Uh, and, um, and he says this in his book called How, How Then Should We Live, and I promise I'm not just going to give you a bunch of quotes this morning, but it's helpful as we launch. And he says, as a man thinks, so he is. Inner thought world determines the outward action. And this transition from cause to effect, if you will, is essentially what is happening right here in this portion of the Hebrew letter. And I told Kelly I was going to give him the business this morning because last week, I, I went and listened to last week online because I wanted to hear just how you guys have been preaching through. Kelly wanted to skip chapter 10. I just want to remind you guys of that. But there's something incredibly significant that's happening right here. This is, it's literally, this is the pinnacle of everything that the writer of Hebrews has been working towards. From chapters 1 all the way through what Kelly preached, the beginning portion of chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews has been laying down doctrine upon doctrine upon doctrine. In other words, what you ought to believe. Right thinking after right thinking. And now all of a sudden, he presents us with this one word, You remember Schoolhouse Rock? Conjunction, conjunction, what's your function? And we see this word, therefore. And at Capital City Church, which maybe you've heard this before, we say this, what is the therefore, therefore? Anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, it signifies that something that was just said has a resultant effect that you ought to tune into. Because what is about to be said is incredibly important. And so again, from chapter 1 all the way through the beginning of chapter 10, the writer has been working and working and working and laying this foundation of right thinking and right belief and therefore. And he presents us now with this beautiful Trinitarian approach as to the result of all that he has now said. So it's an incredibly significant portion of the scriptures. And again, we see this as is woven all throughout the text, and I want to just remind you, or not the text, sorry, all throughout Scripture, both the old and the new, this cause and effect pattern, and I want to just remind us this morning of a few of these cause and effect moments as believers we receive this therefore type of mentality. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, Paul says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, and now here's the result. He's given us the truth, and now he's going to say, now this is what life is. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Cause and effect. And one other, it again is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. In, in 2 Corinthians, he says this in chapter 5. And you don't have to turn there. You can just write it down if you are taking notes or want to remember it for later. Again, this is just to remind us of, and show some examples of the pattern. We've concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And he gives us a double therefore. Therefore, again, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. 
And so again, these six verses here are literally the pinnacle of this letter to the Hebrews, where he is now going to transition, and he's been setting the stage for this very moment, pointing out how then in all aspects, and I think this is the title of your sermon series, if I'm not mistaken, in all aspects, Jesus Christ and his ministry is supreme in glory, in power, and in potency. And in all ways, Christ Jesus is better than the former old covenant that was in every single way. And he's been laboring intensively towards this. Chapter 1, he talks about how the role of Christ Jesus is better. And he, and he summarizes that he is now the prophet, priest, and king. All three roles are found in Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, he's the founder of all things. And it says that he's superior to the angels. In chapter 3, it presents that Jesus is greater than Moses, he's greater than David, he's greater than Joshua, he's great, greater than, than Aaron, and all of those significant roles that those men filled in the Old Covenant, now Christ Jesus has fulfilled and supersedes in every single way. In 4 and 5, Jesus is the supreme high priest. In 6, Jesus is the better promise. In 7, Jeter, Jeter, Derek Jeter is better than Melchizedek. He wasn't, actually. This is something that you don't know about me. I gaff all the time. I tell the church, man, I don't know who gaffs more, me or Biden. We could put together these, like, if, if somebody put together just a roll of all the gaffs, it might be pretty darn close. In eight, Jesus is the better high priest of a better covenant. In nine, he's the greater temple. His blood is greater. And then, of course, last week, he, in chapter 10, he's the better, more perfect sacrifice. Again, he's greater, he's greater, he's greater. And so I would say this. In the words of Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, in light of talking about the return of Christ, Peter poses this question, which I pose to you all this morning. In light of these things, brothers and sisters, what type of people ought we to be? I ask you this morning, those of you who have been sitting Month after month, thus far through the teaching of Hebrews, everything that you've heard and how Christ Jesus in, is better in the new covenant and therefore we are as well, what type of people ought we to be? And this is a crucial question that we have to ask ourselves today because Hebrews 1 through 10 is pre presenting us with a basis for that very same thing. I need both of my hands this morning. This is hard. No, that's all right. It doesn't really matter. Babe, would you come stand here and just hold the mic for me? And this is the wonderful news, church, is that as is God's way, he doesn't leave the answer to the question a mystery. I ask you, what type of people ought we to be? And the wonderful news is that not only does he present the answer, but he also presents the means by the Spirit of God enacting and aliving grace within his people to live as a people who walk and live and think and obey, etc., etc., in line with all the truth that we have thus heard. This morning as I was sitting at their kitchen table, just kind of going through my notes and thinking, I was taken to Ezekiel chapter 36, and the promise of the new heart. And he says, I will give you a new spirit 
And then he says, I will put my spirit within you. This is like 650 years prior to the, teacher, to the writer of Hebrews writing his letter. And then he says this, I will cause you to live in accordance with my law and my ways. He doesn't just present us with what we ought to do. He presents us with the means to live it out. Is that not the best news in the world, church? That the grace of God enables us to live the Christian life. This morning, if you feel as though you are incapable of as adhering to the law of God, that is, to the commands of God within Scripture, the good news is you're not alone because none of us can, but the better news is that Christ Jesus, through his grace, by his Spirit, enables us to live. And so he presents us with the answer to this question. And I want to remind us, too, this morning, and I'll jump in, and I think what I, I've got like 20 minutes or so, right? 15 minutes, maybe. While it seems like it's a, it's a simple question of what type of people ought we to be, a reminder that the human heart outside of Christ, our own waging war with, between our flesh and within our spirit that we all experience from moment to moment, while the question is simple, the reality is, is that we go searching for the answer that's already given. Quite simply, there are truths within, within Scripture that we don't live and walk in moment by moment. It's because we are in the process of being sanctified. We're in the process of being renewed. We sang this, uh, a song this morning, and we were singing in regards to revival, and I was just thinking in my own heart, revival begins right here. And it's wonderful for us to sing those words and to remind ourselves of the commission, both of the church and the power of God. But brothers and sisters, if we are not engaged in our own personal renewal, then the revival that we desperately desire that we know is in with, within the heart of God might not happen the way that we think it might happen. We must be engaged in our own personal renewal. We must be engaged in the transformative work of the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit within us. Let's not go looking for the answer that God has already presented to us through Christ Jesus. And so before the writer presents us again with this just wonderful kind of three point, and I, I love it when points are clear. I'm very linear. and It's like, man, it is boom, boom, boom. So I'm going to give you boom, boom, boom this morning. One, two, three. Before I do that, though, I want to just say this. In response to this question of what sort of people ought we to be, the writer of Hebrews, he summarizes the basis for it once again. And just taking a moment for us to consider this as a means of allowing our own hearts to be steeped in truth. And he says again that this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, the word there is in inclusive. Can I just say that? Not because I want it to be, because it literally is. So don't feel left out, ladies. It's brothers and sisters in the Greek. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, he says, to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us. And so can I just say this? Without... Uh, anything that reteaching or stating again anything that I'm sure has been said so well up to this point. I want to just find an, a, a, a faith point for us to anchor ourselves in this morning. 
It is not, therefore, brothers, may we hope for confidence. Or therefore, brothers and sisters, I sure do hope that you have a great high priest because that would be wonderful. Listen, church, he says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have. We have. This, this is the conundrum or the mystery, if you will, of the Christian life, that these truths are truths regardless of whether or not you think it or experience it. This is true. Do we live in confidence every moment? No, not necessarily. We don't. Do we live as though that great high priest, Jesus Christ, stands before us ever in, in intercession on our behalf before the Father? No, we don't. We're going to walk out those doors and we'll live our life. And sometimes it's contrary to what is true, but it doesn't change the fact that truth is truth, regardless of how we feel about it. My hope this morning for, for us here that are in this room, regardless of where your faith is, is that you would find resolve in your heart to live as God has created you. That new creation life. Jesus Christ is spoken of as a first fruits, or Paul says that he is the firstborn among many brothers who would follow after him. Who are those brothers that follow after him? Who are the brothers and sisters? Throw your hands up. That's us. We are those who follow after Christ Jesus. We are in his likeness. May we live as such. The author of Hebrews here, in this we have, he's saying to us, walk boldly into this new way of living because the one who made the way is the one who still opens and holds it open today. That's the basis of our boldness. And what's more, because he is in, if you will, he's made the way through, which he says, the new and living way, Christ Jesus, as I said a moment ago, remains before the Father, forever making intercession on our behalf. And this is an amazing thought, too. Have you ever thought about this before? That the intercession of Jesus on behalf of us before the Father happens through eternity. It doesn't just end at the new creation. It goes on eternally. You have an advocate before Christ on behalf of your sin you are the righteousness of God throughout eternity. That is amazing. Is this, am I, you guys okay? I, I mean, I know Kelly teaches the word. I love to teach the word of God. I'm not like huge on illustration. I'm still learning in that way. I just love to teach the word because the word gets me excited. And sometimes I think I fire hose people. They're going, oh, okay. <laughs> What's this guy saying? He's there. Because he's there, we know that we're meant to be there. And by that I mean in the presence of God, if you will. And I think sometimes we think about that. He, he forever makes intercession on our behalf. We use that as a bit of a motivation when we come into worship. And we say, I'm going to step into the presence of God. And while, yes, that is true, it's much more than just enabling the believer to experience the presence of God. Because at the end of chapter 10, and I don't know if you guys will look at this next week, but now he's, he actually begins, he says, if you continue on sinning deliberately, he's talking about a life of righteousness. That's the access that we have. It's on a much bigger level than just the presence of God. 
It's the forgiveness of God. It's the righteousness of God that is imparted to us. All right, I'm going to keep going because I was just finding myself going a different direction. All right, I get excited. All right, let, let me just skip forward so that I make sure we've got time, and I want to just give you this three. So there's the basis. I literally just taught for 15 minutes on therefore and 10 minutes on we have. Now here we go. I'm going to take the rest of the time, and it's let us. Okay, let us. And again, this isn't you ought to. This is the result. Therefore, here's what happens. All right, verse 22, the first one. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are a people of worship, church. That is the first response. Let us worship. Therefore, in light of these things, we are a people of worship. As I said, I was looking at Ezekiel 36 earlier. It's, it, it's centuries before Hebrews. Centuries before. And, and Ezekiel sees this moment in redemptive history where Christ Jesus, the mediator and enactor of a new and better covenant, stands before the Father, and we are the recipients of everything that he has done. And he says this in Ezekiel 36, 25, almost like the same picture of what we just read in Hebrews. I will sprinkle clean water on you, he says. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Brothers and sisters, Worship, I mean, the, the verbiage, the, the picture, the, the illustration, if you will, that, that Ezekiel is speaking of is so abundantly clear. It is a completely new being. God is not looking to just change you in the sense of, of wanting to um, just make you better. God is in the business of clearing house and completely building you anew again. A new heart, a new spirit, and he's going to put his spirit within you. Worship, then, it's the natural response of the heart that understands the great chasm that laid between us and Christ. Worship is the natural inclination of the heart that is the recipient of God's rich mercy when it was steeped in sin, when it lived as an enemy of God, and when we deserved God's just wrath. When we have been recipients of mercy and grace, what other response is there but to worship? Right? Worship is the response of a heart that's been reborn by the transformative power of the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead has rebirthed you today if you are in faith. And not only that, Paul goes on to say in Corinthians that that same power that raised Christ from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies. In other words, we will be raised like him unto eternity one day. So worship is a heart that sees that, that understands that. Worship is also the response of a conscience that has had the full weight of forgiveness laid upon it, washed clean and made alive to righteousness. Those of us who have children, Shannon and I, we have, we've got five kids. And if you have children or you've been a parent at some point, you remember those moments where you had to discipline your child. 
and the tenderness of heart. And I, I used to sit and my younger, I have three sisters and I would listen when my sister got disciplined. We'd, we lived in this two-story house and my other sisters and I would put our ear to the vent and we'd listen to our sister get disciplined. It's terrible. And we'd sit there and we'd laugh at them. It was little kids. It was little kids. But I had this one sister and anytime she was being disciplined, it was, no, mommy, no, 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 mommy, I love you, I love you. I just want to give you a hug. Mommy, can I give you a hug? I just want to give you a kiss. Mommy, mommy, I love you, I love you. And so that's, we would laugh. We're like, oh, what? she's desperate. Boy, she's desperate. Nothing will stave the hand of justice that is coming towards her in that moment. But for those of us who have children who've disciplined our kids in those moments post-discipline, what a moment we have for restoration and the tenderness of heart. And my, my point in saying this is that how many of us have experienced it in our own life in those moments of discipline when restoration comes, the joy, the relief that we feel, and the tenderness of heart towards the person who's disciplined us, provided it was done in a right way, of course. This is what I'm getting at this morning. This joyfulness of heart, this tenderness, this, this eagerness to please that's in the hearts of our children in those moments post-discipline. This is the heart of a worshiper that understands, again, just the full weight of truth that is, that is bare before our hearts of, man, this is what God has done on my behalf when I was an enemy to him, when I was a vessel of wrath. The Lord saw me and called me and drew me. And he has done the same for you. So this is, shouldn't be a stretch for us to think that worship is a natural inclination of a believer's heart and mind. It's not just songs we sing on a Sunday. It's a heart posture that begins with a, a view of the top down. It begins with a view of God. And it works towards ourself, who God is, what he re has revealed about himself, which is why this is so important. His nature, his character, how he acts, what his will is. Worship begins there. There was a song by Matt Redman, and there was in a chorus, he said, worship starts with seeing you. And what an appropriate statement that is. We behold the glory of the Lord. And then in worship, in turn, it informs how we see ourselves, what we think about ourselves. So often, church, we get that the wrong way. We start here with how we feel, and we put that back on God. But what I'm saying to you this morning is, therefore, in light of everything that Hebrews has said and that the elders here have taught, what type of person ought you to be? Person of worship, Lord Jesus. And as the writer of Hebrews, he's already warned us. He says that we have to guard ourselves. In chapter 2, he says that we must pay closer attention to what we heard. Do you remember this? Lest we drift away. Does he mean we'll lose our salvation? No. But our hearts wander. We're like sheep. We still stray. I stray in my own heart. We all stray. Pay close attention, brothers and sisters. The counterfeit is so readily available at every turn within present culture. The counterfeit, counterfeit of true and genuine worship. We live in Sacramento. It's the, it's the, the seat of the capital of the state. For certain, the cultural ideologies, the cultural idols, the, the, that which is held up as a place of worship this, political ideology, individualism, it's rampant in Northern California. What are yours here in Chino? What are the cultural idols that are always being held before you? Is it, is it family? 
Is it vocation? Is it financial stability? Is it, uh, is it you know, the health of your ro- retirement fund? What is it? What are those cultural idols? Define those together. Recognize them so that you guard your hearts lest you drift away. John Calvin said that the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Have you heard that quote before? The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. We know this, how easily we replace the worship of the creator with the worship of the created. We know this. It's the inclination of the human heart. Last quote, I think. Maybe I've got another one. This one's a good one. 19th century poet Ralph Waldo Emerson, he insightfully said this, that a person will worship something, have no doubt about it. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, he says this. Listen, this is Ralph Waldo Emerson. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Worship starts with seeing him. May your eyes be fixed on Jesus Christ. Number two, what type of people ought we to be? People of truth. Number one, people of worship. Number two, people of truth. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. It does not get much more clear than that. In an age where truth is subjected or subjective to each individual, what do we hold to? Do we hold to experience? Do we hold to memory? Those things fade, right? They let us down. Emotions mislead. What is it that we hold to? But truth, as I already said, truth is indisputable, no matter who says it. And it isn't enough to simply know where truth comes from. Rather, we have to know the truth for ourselves. Can I just say again, church, in an age where everything is vying for your heart and for your worship each and every moment, Know the truth, because without it, your heart will wander. And if your heart wanders, then the church is weakened. And if the church is weakened, then the city is at risk. I know that you guys are desirous to see the gospel bear fruit in the city of Chino. It starts here. It starts within you. I said this. Oh, no, actually, well, I'll get there in a moment. God's word, his written word, it's provided as our source of truth. In the words of Jesus, when he's tempted in the wilderness, he says, what, man doesn't live by bread alone. Man doesn't live by what is seen. Man doesn't live by the, just the natural nourishment, if you will, that is provided from earthly means, but he lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 2 Timothy 2, 3.16 speaks of how every written word is profitable for reproof, for training in righteousness, so that we would not be weakened, so that we would not be without. Word of God, I know you guys understand that and you believe it. Seek out truth, ingest truth, wrestle with truth until you bend and not the other way around. Augustine said this, here's another quote for you. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel that you believe but yourself. How often do we do that? 
oh, this part of Scripture is too hard. I can't reconcile it with these other. The Old Testament God was a God of one way, and the New Testament, I like the New Testament Jesus better. How often do we do things like that? We have to wrestle with it, brothers and sisters. It's meat. You've got to chew it. Let's move on from the pablum. Let's move on from the easy-to-digest surface things, and let's dig down into the deep truth because that is where nourishment is. That's where sustenance is. Sustenance is. That's where the deep rooting comes from. Let truth have its deep work in you that you would live, as Hebrews says, unwaveringly. The unwavering ones are the ones that John saw in Revelation. It's those who overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Do you know that text in John? I mean Revelation. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Brothers and sisters, may we not be like children, as Paul would say, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. It's like a dandelion in the wind. And there we go, floating, floating, floating. No, no. May we be like an anchor, just deep, deep and rooted. Am I doing okay on time? Okay. All right. Lastly, I have much more I can say. I always have more than I can say. What type of people ought we to be? A people of worship, a people of truth, and thirdly, Hebrews is going to talk about a people of community. In verse 24, he says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I said this to my church last week. I'm teaching through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah consecutively. And I said this last week, God's ultimate purpose has always been and will always be with the corporate expression of his people. You can disagree with me all you want. And I tell you, there's a lot of people who do, who have enjoyed and have sought their individual relationship with Jesus and the church is just a messed up organization of religion that hurts people. But I'm telling you this day, it is the intent and the purpose of God always has been and always will that he might begin with the individual, but the individual always ends in the greater corporate expression. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, he began with Abraham and he finished with Israel. Just think of the story. The birth of God's people. In the New Covenant, he begins with Jesus. And in Revelation 21, he ends with the New Jerusalem. And in between that, those two bookends, the church is birthed in Acts. And we see the ethos of the people of God as in Jesus' ministry in the Beatitudes, the, the values of the kingdom, the ethics of the kingdom, the lifestyle of the kingdom of God as through Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, people, it begins with an individual and it ends with the corporate expression. This matters. This doesn't only matter, it is everything. It's everything. It doesn't just matter that you're here. It matters that you are who you are here in Christ Jesus. You've heard the expression that, what, oh, actually, I don't even remember the expression. It's something about like, you're only as strong as your weakest link or something like that. It's not to point out who's the weakest. It's to encourage ourselves to be a, a, strength, um, it's a strong link. You get the point. Move on. 
Throughout scripture, we're given pictures of what the people, this corporate expression looks like and it functions like. And what are the, what are the, the analogies that we hear the church spoken of? The church is what? It's an army. The church is a bride. The church is a family. The church is a body. The church is a priesthood. Why all the different descriptives? Is it just to kind of give us a different idea? No, no. It's, it's, the, it's the unique function of the church in each one of those. And I'm not going to teach that at this moment. But just think about how the church is each one of those things and how important the expression of the church is in that way. It informs who the church is, whose the church is, and how the church acts. And I told my church last week, and Nehemiah 3, I think, might be one of the clearest examples of the corporate body in all of Scripture. Men and women from a variety of backgrounds with a variety of skill, all taking up the exact same work with the exact same expectation of outcome. You guys know Nehemiah 3. It's when Nehemiah calls them to build the wall. And it literally, I read last week every name of every single person that was listed in Nehemiah 3. Why? Because every name matters. Nehemiah doesn't just matter, but each one of your names matters within the corporate expression, and what you do matters as well. This church is not just for the, and listen, I know you might think I'm older than Kelly, but I'm not. I might look older than Kelly, but I'm actually not. I'm younger than Kelly. The church isn't just for the gray hairs or the silver foxes. <laughs> the, 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 listen, listen, please hear me in my, in my being silly. If you, are a, if you are a teen, if you're an adolescent, if you're a young adult, if you're a single, if you're a widow, if you're a married, if you're, uh, what do we have? We've got tweens, we've got twelderlies. Is that a thing? I just made that up. In between a, a tween and an elderly, is, I'm a twelderly. It doesn't matter where you are in any of that. The point is, is that God has placed you here for now. Not just 10 years from now, or not just 10 years ago. Be who you are. Understand who you are. If you're a new believer, give yourself to understanding who you are for the sake of the corporate expression, so that she can be the army and the body and the bride, etc., etc. Men and women striving together, one mind, one purpose, I'm almost done, one effort, side by side, laboring together. We have to reject the world's mantra of individualism. Please, don't worship at that altar. Don't worship at the altar of individual expression. I mean, within the church, I grew up in the church. Personal ministries, personal fulfillment, things that, that give me meaning. It's not your meaning that you feel that's important. It's what you bring of who you are that is important. It's a, just let that tweak you a little bit. I'm not trying to offend anybody either. But let's reject this standard of individualism. And let's take up the, the standard of truth. And Paul would say this, and I'll just kind of land here. Romans 12. Love one another with brotherly affection, Paul says. You know this text well. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is how we ought to be. Are you listening? Love one another with brotherly affection and sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Boy, how do we do that? Well, let your imagination go. Don't be slothful in zeal, 
but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. He's still on, he's still on the corporate. He's not just talking about the individual. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's how we can be the church with one another. That's just a part of how we can be the church with one another. So, brothers and sisters, this is how we ought to live. But don't forget, it's not just in light of how you, good you might feel at this moment or ho- how compelling of an argument I presented or how well I spoke truth to you this morning. It's in light of the truths of what God has done, who he says you are, how he has recreated you, and how he is recreating you into his image. Whether or not you believe it, you experience it, whether or not you give yourself to the same cycles of sin over and over and over again, whether or not you're able to forgive yourself, it is what God says about you. You are the righteousness of Christ. You are the righteousness of Christ. Live as such today. Amen? By the grace of God that comes by the power of his spirit. Amen? May the Lord give us grace to do so. You want me to pray? Can I do this then? I I felt like the Lord, I'm going to just kind of riff here for a minute. Because while I like to preach the word, I also try to do so with just an ear to the Spirit of God. And while we were praying this morning, I wasn't quite sure how it fit. But since I've got the mic and you're giving me the moment, this is what I felt like the Lord put in me this morning for Southland's Chino. And I think it's, I mean, it's going to resonate, first of all, because it's truth. It's not my words. Scripture, it better resonate or you're in trouble. Um, No, but I just think it's going to resonate in light of, you know, some of what's been prayed prior, some of what has been sung, and it's this. And I'm going to pray after I read this. This is Acts chapter 4, and I just felt like this was for Chino, okay? This is Acts chapter 4, and the portion of Acts 4, it is is, uh, titled that the believers pray for boldness. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices. Now, this is the people of God. Okay, this is Peter and John having been imprisoned. They're released from prison. They go back to the new believers and they're together and they're telling them everything that had happened. And the inclination of the hearts of the believers was this. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they said, this sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. And they say this, Do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There is a connection between what I spoke out of Hebrews and what I just read out of Acts, brothers and sisters. And it's all about what you understand here and what you understand here. And may I just point out, too, that the first words out of their mouth were towards him. Sovereign Lord, it was a place of worship they began. Who made the heaven and the earth. 
So I just want to pray for you guys now. Would you do me a favor and just stand? So in case you're feeling like my, the tonality of my voice is getting monotonous or you're getting tired, stand where you are, and I want to pray. Father, I ask that by your Spirit that you would have your deep work now within each one of our hearts. I ask, Lord, for this body of believers and those who are not present this morning that you would galvanize them in the truth of who they are as a people of Southlands Chino. Not even just Southlands, Lord. Southlands Chino. Lord, may, may, may they be as those in Acts who at the report of the opposition that was against them came on their knees and reminded themselves of the good hand of God that was towards them and worshiped unto the Lord Jesus and said, now, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would grant this church boldness to continue, that you would grant this church, Lord, strength to continue to preach the gospel within this city. And as you do, stretch out your hand, Lord, we pray, and enact healings, signs, and miracles that testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that is not our charisma It's not our eloquence, but Lord, it is the Spirit of God within us. And I pray, Lord, for this church, for this body of believers, strengthen them now, I pray. Enliven their hearts to the grace of God. Lord, it's your grace that teaches us to say no to sin and the worldly passions of our flesh and to live upright and godly lives. May we say yes to your grace and no to the flesh in the name of Jesus. Build this church, Lord. Build her. Thank you that you are at the helm. Strengthen its leaders. Strengthen its families, Lord. Strengthen, Lord, the, the, all each and every one who are united together in this effort to bring the gospel to Chino. And Lord, may it be to the glory of your name, to the exaltation of Christ Jesus on the mouths and within the hearts of the unbelieving. In your name, amen.